Well, hey there, and welcome to episode number 74 of Groove, the No Treble podcast, which you can always find at notreble.com. My name is Mitch Joel. Let's get on with the show. are you and what do you do david ellison i play bass for megadeth the ellison solo band and any other people who hire me (laughs) (laughs) i feel like since this craziness of covid has taken over you're you're in a million you got you got a million fingers and a million pies it feels like to me at least (laughs) am i wrong or right yeah no you're you're right that's exactly what it is you know i mean look i i back in 2002 you know megadeth disbanded for for a season and you know up until that point for 20 years i'd been solely a megadeth member and and it required that i mean as a founding member, you know, we, we, I, me and Dave were in the room when the vision was cast and the thing started and, and, you know, I knew how much work it was going to be. And I never wanted to just, you know, go out and be a solo artist. To me, it was always about being in a band. So Megadeth was my new home. Um, this was my band of brothers. These were my friends. This is my gang. We're going to go out and take over the world together. And so for 20 years, that's what we did. Um, and when it came to an end uh, is that moment that I think you you fear uh, on some level as an artist going, oh, my God, what if this ends? How am I going to pay my mortgage? I was 38 years old. Um, I had a young family that I was raising. Um, so a lot of real life questions smack you in the face. Um, and I, I went over and I started to do an artist relations job for PV Electronics. I ran their global artist relations departments and. And it was great because I was a PV artist. I used their amplifiers, so I was already in the in the fold, so to speak. And the guy who hired me, uh, Tony Moskal, he had previously worked at St. Louis Music, and he had done a similar thing where he had hired Ken Hensley from Uriah Heep to run the artist relations for Ampeg. And uh, so I got the model of like rock star guy does artist relations to other rock stars, you know. So. Um, you know, and, and that started a different, you know, it expanded my horizons big time where now I, I wasn't in a big group anymore. Um, and I moved over into business entrepreneurial stuff. I saw very quickly, I should probably go to college and get my degree because I looked around and said, look, everybody who's working here has a degree. I don't, uh, I got in here because what they need from me is my music industry contacts, um, but if I ever moved on in the business world past this, I, I, I might need it, you know, if nothing else to check the box, you know? So I went and I, I got my degree during that, that decade, never had had to check the box quite honestly, but it, it did, if, if anything internally, I feel confident that now I know what they know. Um, and that, that I think was just kind of a nice confidence boost for me, you know, but at the same time, other little uh, music things developed around me. I had a little band called F5. Um, the guys were 10 years younger than me. So it got me current with how guys were playing guitar, how they were tuning their guitars, um, the kind of music they were listening to. Um, and because I was no longer in the insulary bubble of being in a big rock group anymore. So I was really kind of back down on the street and, and I enjoyed it. It quite honestly was a very creative season for me. I had played in a number of different groups. We put out a bunch of different records. I learned to just say yes to things. Um, and I think that one word has changed my life, you know, just say yes. It's hilarious that you say that. I'm I'm quite friendly with Troy Lucetta from Tesla, who I know also appeared on 
no cover your your cover mm-hmm. album and that's his thing always whenever we talk he's like i'm just saying yes to everything just showing up just say yes and show up you know yeah i mean i think that is it because you know, look these these big rock groups that we're in it's a it's a it's a blessing of course um but, you know, I, I've seen other guys and now who I'm friends with, you know, who have only been in one band their whole life. And I always kind of feel bad for them because if they aren't the main writer and they aren't sort of the main content creator um, and groups tend to be collaborative on some level, um, it's like you never really get to fully express yourself, you know, and that's why certain guys then go solo. Um, and it's better if you can go solo while you're in the band rather than going solo and having to leave the band, because that that's always a usually never a smooth transition. You know, it just doesn't transition that well. I mean, Sting, Phil Collins, uh, you know, you can name There's them on handful. one hand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The people that have been able to really do it on a, on a real level. Um, so, you know, you're trying to, you know. And in bands, there tends to be jealousy. You tend to be kind of like, well, why is he overdoing that? Why is he not doing it here with me and with our band? You know what I mean? So there's all these dynamics that come into play. Because let's face it, with these groups, we start them when we're very young. We grow up together. We're kind of growing up in the public eye. Uh, So our successes, our missteps, um, and all of it is sort of out in the open to see. Um, And, you know, we're raising families. We're married, divorced, married again, whatever our stories are, you know, uh, we, we go through a lot, you know, rehab, sobriety, um, <laughs> you know, um, you know, spiritual awakenings, you know, all, all these things we go through, you know, is kind of out there in the public's eye. And we tend to write about what we tend to write about our lives on some level. So sometimes they go into our music, we become, sort of lyrical uh, and poetic on some of the life transitions we go through. And sometimes our fans don't want to hear that. They're like, dude, just be 18 again and, you know, bring back 1985 and be that guy again. And as we grow older, you know, we're not that guy, you know, um, you know, the Bible always says, you know, as a boy grows into a man, the man must leave the boyish ways behind. So on some level, we're always in conflict being in a rock and roll environment because rock and roll is a young man's game. You know, and now here I am at age 56, still playing rock and roll, making records, uh, doing this. So I, I feel like I've been through the transition of sort of letting go of my youth becoming, you know, I've gone through my ward cleaver phase, you know, married, raising kids, paying a mortgage, driving the minivan, going to the soccer games, and then tomorrow I'll go back out on stage and play rock and Rio. You know, I've been through that phase. Now I'm on the other side of it. My family's grown up. Um, and now I'm just enjoying just just being who I want to be, you know, and just doing what I want to do. Um, and, and I don't mean that selfishly, but just, just kind of going, hey, man, I'm 56. It's like I'm not going to double my years in my age. Um, like I'm on the back nine, as they say in golf, you know, um, and, 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 you know, it's when you get to the great clubhouse in the sky, that's it. So it's like, do, do it and do it now and do it well and, and, and enjoy this journey right now. So where does bass playing fit into it for you? Because if I think about the projects, there's a lot, I mean, you have this no cover Mm -hmm. album that just came out once touring happens. I mean, I'm, I'm, we're doing this. I'm in Montreal. You were supposed to be here fairly recently. Like the show was canceled. Mm -hmm. Um, You've got, you got your coffee cup there for Ellison Coffee. Yeah. There's, you know, books coming out. These are all large 
beastly endeavors that whenever I see as someone who's an entrepreneur myself and does a myriad of things, I know what it takes to get through a busy day. At the same time, whenever I want to, you know, go pluck one of those things behind me, it, it, it sort of falls. But it, but in your world, it can't fall because it's still a thing that you're known for. Yeah. So how do you how do you prioritize? How do you find time to play? What's what's a day like when you got to keep those chops going? Well, I, I I believe it's always about it. Always revolves around the music. You know, even the coffee. You know, it's, it's always about music. You know, it's a music themed thing. The roast book in peace. is a music <laughs> roast in peace. We just put out combat napalm in the morning yeah. for those who want a good kick in the butt when you're getting up. Uh, even the book rock star Hitman. you know, I, I thought as an author, and this is, this is got, I guess my fifth book. I, I did making music, your business back in 1997 that published. And that was kind of a music business. How to book. I did a, Unsung Words and Images, which was putting lyrics and, and uh, poetry to photographic images instead of music. And then I did uh, two memoirs. So, yeah, I guess it's my fifth book. Um, and, and fiction. And I've always wanted to write fiction. I just never had it. it I was kind of waiting for it to come to me. Uh, and it did. One Literally a year ago, I was in Sao Paulo, Brazil. I was on a solo bass story tour and and the idea came to me and I just started writing. I mean, right there, I wrote chap half the book and, you know, on that tour in the next few plane flights, I had something uh, written called my friend Drew Fortier. He said, hey, you know, I'd love for you to jump in on this and collaborate. Um, so I think a lot of it is, first of all, we have a great uh, team and it's an organization. And I think, you know, there's a saying, if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. And I think that really applies more than ever in my life. That's uh, Tom Hazard, of course, who not only sings in my solo bands, also manages me in my solo endeavors and has been my business partner with the label and the coffee company. And, you know, it, 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 you know, he'll call me up with three new ideas. Oh my gosh, I just had this call with this guy. Hey, I've been thinking we should do this or, you know, and, and that, and that helps because it, it, it's truly a synergistic teamwork, you know, two plus two equals four in our world, you know? Um, and you know, it, it, in fact, most days two plus two equals eight, you know, so, it yeah, really, it, <laughs> yeah. yeah it, it sort of exponentially goes beyond, you know, what's, you know, what, what just, to, what just either, either of us do, you know, and, 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 I, and that's a big, you know, that, that really is what makes it work. And that's why I think our bandwidth is so wide and why we do so much because, um, you know, Tom is a great business strategy guy. Um, he's got great long-term vision, you know, these things are under my name, um, but he is right underneath the marquee running as hard and fast as he can busting down doors and, and making moves and making stuff happen. And, um, that allows me to be who I am, you know, a bass player, songwriter, an artist. Oh, I drink some coffee. Hey, let me sit over here and write a book and I don't have to do everything. And Tom doesn't have to do everything either. We're very collaborative in the things that we do. And just like being in a rock band, everybody has a role. Um, the singer can't just be the drummer or decide to one day be the guitar player. It's like, we all have a role and we gotta, as we say in our world, stay in your lane, be who you are. You know, my job is I'm the famous guy from Megadeth and you know, all the rest of that stuff. And that's an important part of what my role is, you know, that, that, that I keep that. 
Um, and at the same time, I know you look Megadeth. We've we've been working, you know, coming up on forty years now. I think we're near thirty-seven. Um, you know, Dave Mustaine went through his throat cancer last year. I mean, that was a real wake up. That's a that's a moment of reality where you just go, holy shit, we're at that age, man, where things happen. Uh, fortunately, he got through it. We were able to tour. We're making another record. Um, but you know. I'm the last one standing out of my family. My mother, brother, and and father have passed. And and I, I swear, when I was there, I saw my brother died. He was only 51. He died from cancer. And again, something out of nowhere, just get new game plan, you know. Um, and he passed. And when my mother died in 2016, we were on the Dystopia tour. Actually, we had just started the tour. And um, she passed. I was able to be there with her. And when she died, I was, I wanted to be there with her because just for all those reasons, but also I kind of wanted to experience what it was like when someone dies. And it was very uneventful. I gotta say it was, it wasn't like the angels came down and the heavens parted and the earth shook. It was none of that. It was just kind of like the heart beats and then it stops. It, get, like, it gets cold fast. Cause I experienced it gets it too cold fast and you're just kind of like, that's it. Like that's life. Yeah. One minute it's a beating heart and the next minute it's not. And that's, I mean, it was really, you know, and I'm not trying to make light of death, but I, it brought some real perspective to like, it's like, I look kind of was like, well, what the fuck am I waiting for? Sorry for my, <laughs> but it was like, what am I waiting for? If, if there's something on my to-do list, get going. Like now is the time to go do it. And, you know, I, I live a one day at a time life. I was trained that way in my drug and alcohol recovery. Um, 30 years ago, live one day at a time, sometimes one minute at a time and leave room for, you know, God, the universe, fate to show up in your life, make plans, you know, it's okay to have a schedule, but leave some room for life to throw some fun stuff in there too. Don't book yourself so tight. Don't be so controlling that you've got so many, you know, leave room for the fun of life to happen. And I always, now I've come to come to the belief that, you know, you know, there's black, there's white, and I love living in the middle because that's where all the colors are. So do you have a regiment around playing the bass, around practicing? How does it fit? How does bass playing fit into your life? I don't. I don't. And, you know, to be honest with you, I haven't even played in a while. It's been a few. In fact, I got what I got. As you can see, because we're on a video, you can see behind me, I've got, you know, I don't know, five, six, seven basses back there. And, I, and a guitar, a couple guitars. And I just picked up this little mini bass right here to just pluck away on it um what you saw me just do right now to just play not even plugged in to just move my fingers across the fingerboard that's my practice regimen you know i uh music to me is very intentional i don't sit around and just practice uh, a whole lot i usually usually someone will say hey man can you throw something down on this uh track for me and i listen to it uh first i listen and then I'll write a chart. I'll make some notes, uh, chart it out bar by bar. So I kind of have a roadmap um, and then run it over a few times and then go to the studio and, and knock it out and play it. And um, you don't feel rusty. You're not one of those where it's like, oh, I need a couple of weeks here. That's not. No, I mean, I've been playing long enough and I play often enough that it isn't so much that I mean, but I do feel it some days. I mean, some days I'm just like, oh my gosh, it's like a <laughs> missing string. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, so it, it is important. I'm not trying to diminish practicing, but I, I have learned that, you know, you can over practice, you know, that it, you can, you can work on sort of the mechanics of your playing so much 
that you miss the music. And the whole reason why these things even exist, these instruments, is they're just a tool. Um, I've never been one of these bass geek guys. I've tried. I've tried to be a bass geek, like just be all about the bass. Four and hours it's a day, too, yeah. It's too one-dimensional, man. And, and even in, a, in, in, in an ensemble, uh, you're just a member. You're just one of the guys. You're just one of the instruments making the music. Um, and so I find, even when I'm playing bass, to listen to what's going on. What is, what's the kick drum doing? What's the hi-hat doing? Hey, what's the guy over here on the guitar? What's that harmony vocal jumping in? Am I getting away in the way of a harmony vocal, which isn't even a focused vocal? It's sort of just a, a harmony piece. You know, music to me is a mosaic. It's like a puzzle and all these pieces fit together. Maybe a better description is a watch. You know, there's the big wheel. That gets all the, that's the lead singer gets all the attention, right? Then there's the next wheel. That's the lead guitar player, you know, and then there's all these other little sub wheels in there, you know, and they all have to move in concert and that little tiny wheel in the background, you know, that's spinning away, you know, that, that you don't notice that, that guy's just as important because the big wheel doesn't move without that little wheel. And to me, that's what music is. And it's about really um, being in the measure that you're playing uh, to appreciate all of the other subtleties and textures that are going on around you. Because you were supposed to be on tour. And like I said, there was a, a Megadeth show planned for Montreal not that long ago. When something like COVID hits, does that amplify the coffee business? Does it amplify the book business? Does it amplify the other stuff? Or are you still, because you, you're giving me the impression that you're, you're sort of very leveled, even though there's a lot of things going on, which is fine. Cause I've met a lot of entrepreneurs and business people who are like that. I'm probably like that as well. Yeah. But what's, yeah, you cut, ca- you kind of have to be level. Um, I think, and I, I've always admired it. I was on a, on a call yesterday with somebody that they were pitching to us a new streaming platform to use for me and Tom Hazer when we do our, our live streams that we do that have kind of become things of legend as well. Um, and they started uh, earlier this year with, through the David Ellison Youth Music Foundation. Um, we are part of the Grammy Music Education Coalition. And uh, so they helped promote several big live streams for us, um, which we found to be really helpful because all of our friends, their tours were canceled, their recording sessions were pushed back, people were trying to write at home, it was frustrating because normally we'd be in a room together. Um, so all these new complexities developed and we found our live streams were really a way to pull our community together, kind of like almost getting everybody out of the house, you know, proverbial, virtually. Uh, and get us connected. And quite honestly, that's where this Ellison No Cover record happened. As we started putting the songs down, we thought, you know, why don't we call our buddies up and get them to jump in and play on some tracks? Everybody's sitting around at home, you know, trying not to get COVID depression, watching our year. Let's face it, it's going to be two years. I mean, most of the sure. stuff is not going to open up for another year yet, at least. At least yeah. um, so it, it's two years They're gone out of our lives. So what are we going to do? Well, we can sit around and be morose and bum out we can stick our head in the sand or you know what man let's let's use crisis as an opportunity um and i think that's where where me and tom with it for sure i mean one of the first things he called me he said he goes hey man why don't you get on skype and start giving some free music lessons hmm. you know it's some, there's tons of kids around the world and that's what led right you see behind me i've got this big cisco monitor cisco stepped into our foundation gave us this huge grant of uh, equipments and uh, platforms their webex platforms we started giving lessons over over webex 
Um, and um, it was great. And, you know, it's funny in the giving of our time to other people, it gets you out of yourself. You start to feel excited because you see someone else's lights coming on. And I, there's this one girl, I gave her a lesson, uh, Camilla, I think is her name on, um, on Instagram. And, uh, she sent me a video. She goes, Hey, my, I'm on stage with my band now. I'm like, Holy cow, man. Like, you know, and, and she was playing before we did a lesson, but it really helped kind of tighten some stuff up. And now she's with her band on stage and she's over in like Uzbekistan or something like <laughs> a very far reaching part of the world. And and it's like, damn, you're like, you're, you're rocking, man. It's like, you're up there killing it with your band. She feels very comfortable. She looks very, you know, poignant. And, and, and I'm watching her band. I'm just like, wow. And, and, you know, she said, she goes, you know, that one lesson you gave me really helped turn the corner and encouraged me. You know, it gave me the strength. And so, look, even if we just helped one person, you know, light up, and I think we have impacted a lot, um, you know, that School's Out initiative that we did through the Youth Foundation um, you know, that was great. And, and I would walk out of literally this office here that I'm sitting in, I'd walk out of here just floating, just going, wow, that felt so good to help, you know, her over there. I gave a blessing to a kid down in Argentina and, you know, he, his bass was broken. He had to actually borrow a, a flamenco nylon string guitar to give him a bass lesson, you know, and, uh, it's a weird looking bass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but he was a good player. His heart was into it. He understood what we were talking about. And, you know, one of the things about teaching, and I've not done a lot of it. I, I do these little moments of instruction. I'm, you know, not not so much a, a base teacher, so to speak. Um, but, or at least as a profession, I'm not. But what I found is, is, you know, in order to teach, you have to really know what you're doing. And you have to uh, verbally um, explain it. You have to be able to be articulate in, in, in telling, you know, explaining how to, how to uh, do something. So, you know, sometimes I would play a lick and they would ask, well, you know, what is the key center in that? Or why did you go to that note? And I have to stop and think and go, why did I go to that note? You know, and it, and it kind of puts you on the spot. So it's funny that you're, you know, I, I've always said in teaching, you know, I don't know if the student got anything out of it, but but I sure did as the teacher. And sometimes, you know, the students don't realize they're probably as much teaching me as I am teaching them. Dave, are you, are you able to reflect on just like my only thought as you were saying this is, yeah, but David has gotten a lot of reps in. I mean, you've got a lot of reps from starting in high school to playing to joining the band in 83 to, uh, you know, F5, Avian Hail, uh, Metal Alliance. I mean, yeah. you get your reps in. It's, it's part of the thing where I feel that when I'm doing my public speaking or my writing, when people ask me for help, it just seems very intuitive, but I have to be able to step back and go, got a lot of reps in. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, there's this, now there's this new theory like, oh, you have to put in 10,000 yeah, hours. Gladwell, you know, yeah. And uh, that, you know, these, these sort of, professional guys come in and sort of try to put this stuff in a box and say, I don't know how many hours it's been. I just wake up every day and this is what I do. I don't, I don't clock it in. I don't keep track of the hours, you know, that would make, that would turn, make it work. And I think the whole idea is here to avoid having to get a job. <laughs> you know, if we keep doing this, right. People forget it's punk and metal. I mean, this is this, this is what I grew up on. It's what you grew yeah. up on. And I get that asked a lot too about my productivity and this. And I'm like, I'm just trying to avoid things mostly. Exactly. <laughs> like exactly. Serious. It's an avoidance issue. <laughs> well, even when I worked for PV, it was to this day, like, 
I was going, oh, no, I'm going to have to cut my hair and get a real job, you know. And it's like, well, look, you're not going to work for Home Depot. You know, I'm not going to. That's probably not. They've got other people that are better suited for that job than me. Right. You know, I don't know about shovels and plywood. I know about guitars and music. And, and quite honestly, what that PV gig showed me, and, and it was so fun because it was a music-related job. And what I realized is that my whole life was always about marketing. And I never thought of it in terms of marketing. Totally. But when you play a concert, you're marketing your music, you're marketing your T-shirt, you're marketing even your own face, your name, likeness, image, the brand of the band. Um, and every interview you do, uh, every time your videos on MTV or now YouTube, it's always a marketing thing. So I looked at that and I went, that's very interesting that I never even thought of it like that. But um, then what I realized is that everything in this world is about being relational um, and, you know, connections, connections of people. Again, another scripture you know no man is an island unto himself you know it's we're, we're we're meant to be in community we're meant to be in fellowship and harmonious brotherhood with each other we're meant for that um which is why covid is so you know anti uh you know and you know again i don't want to go on a religious thing but you know illness and disease is the is is you know not the work of god you know it just isn't it's it's part of the sinful fallen nature that we live in um it's, you know, since the Garden of Eden, since day two, day one, everything's great. God took Sunday off, comes back Monday morning to have a place with the hell in a handbasket. You know yeah, a house mean? party. Yeah. yeah, you ate off the tree. I told you not. I told you not to do that. You know what I mean? So I, I, I kind of, I, I love that whole kind of uh, visualization of that. You know, but um, you know the. The truth of it is, is, you know, and in, in COVID, you know, this separation and division and pulling us apart. You know, and and so probably unconsciously, subconsciously more than anything, you know, that's what these things are, you know, is pulling people together. Um, Zoom, Skype, StreamYard, you know, this is about creating community because humans will always overcome because the truth of it is, is, you know, the good Lord made us, therefore good will always triumph over evil. You know, it just does because we're, we're godly beings. God is the ultimate creator. He created us to be creators because he's a creator. You know, that's why people say, oh, that music's the work of the devil. It's like, well, the devil can't create. He's just a kind of a goofball. You know what I mean? So he turned away from the creator. So screw him. We're done with that guy. You know what I mean? So it's like our natural thing is to is to be connected to the source, to the creator, you know, um, and through that he creates through us. So all this music, all this stuff, you know, I, if anything, you know, I try to be pretty disciplined every day and checking in with the boss up there and saying, hey, lead me where you need me. What do you want me to do today? So I guess these things, if anything, really, they, you know, he gets the credit because he's the one creating through me. And I always say every time I do anything good, my parents should get the credit for me, because, you know, they were good parents and they raised me well. Anytime I screw up and do dumb stuff, that's on me. You know, that's that's me turning away from, as I say, G.O.D., good orderly direction. You know, when you follow the good orderly direction, the good orderly things come. For those who don't know, we've talked a lot about faith and belief and, and God and religion. They think of Megadeth. They think of Vic Rattlehead. They think of Killing mm -hmm. Is My Business. Uh, you know, for me, Rust in Peace changed my life. Thank you very much. Um, right. Can you talk about when that became something for you? Uh, what it what it what it's like and what it means, and in particular, 
you know, I am thinking about the feud that you had with Dave Mustaine, which led to this crazy lawsuit. And what I think is a more amazing moment, which I think is really telling, is you getting together in a restaurant and asking for forgiveness and him without missing a beat. And again, if you know the Dave Mustaine character, it seems out of character and you, you, you reconciled and bonded in, in a moment where right. I think I've seen divorces really happen because someone didn't say I'm sorry and, and have forgiveness, which is all it might've taken. Right. So can you just talk a bit about this path? Because for people who are listening to this thinking, I'm going to hear Allison from Megadeth and he's the devil and killing his mom. And, yeah, yeah. But yeah. there is this person who I've known you to be this person for a while, but, but many haven't. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting. So we'll start at the end there. Okay. Yeah. So look, you know, I firmly believe Dave and I ended up in, in that situation because he and I were not directly communicating. You know, there was a new manager, a new lawyer, a new team of people. They're all trying to impress the client. So they're just, well, we're just doing whatever the boss tells us to do. And they, and, and it's like, wait a minute, your job is to manage and counsel and, and, Help. direct your clients. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and, and in my opinion, avoid litigation, avoid these things, you know, um, those people are no longer here. They've all been, uh, let go. Thank God. Um, and you know, once they were, most of them were let go is when Dave and I had an opportunity to, you know, to, to come back and reconcile. And you're right. It's like, as soon as Dave and I got in the room, it's like, what the hell are we fighting over? It's like, it's guitar, let's play, let's jam, you know? And then yes. it becomes about the music and, and there it is. Um, and you know, so when we keep it on that level, it, it goes well when it be, when the business people and the lawyers and people come in and they try to sort of put logic around it, that's when the trouble becomes, I always said Megadeth is, is completely illogical. There's no logic to it at all. And there's, and there's not really supposed to be because it, it's, 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 it's something of the heart. It's not of the head. It's of the heart. You know, they always say the longest journey is from the head, you know, the eighth or whatever, 15 inches from the head to the heart. You know, it's like one thing to know it. It's another to, to memorize, to, to know, you know, to memorize it is one thing, but to know it by heart is another thing. And that's what we do as musicians. We don't just memorize it. We have to really play it by heart. And, you know, that's what a group is. A musical setting is about that. And, and of course, there has to be some sort of business dynamic around it to sort of kind of make it work, I guess, you know, at least for the accountants, and <laughs> you know, for the for those things, you know, to. But, you know, the truth of it is, is, you know, like, like I always said, it's like, I'm, I'm in Megadeth because I want to be here, you know, not because I have to be here, not because some contract that forced me, if it ever comes to that, it's like, I'm done like that. You know, I don't want to play music because I have to, you know, that's the worst feeling ever. And we went through many years of that, you know, where managers would take big advances and next thing you know, you know, they took their commission and they're off living in Malibu or wherever. And meanwhile, the four of us are out in the yellow submarine working our tails off for the next 18 months trying to recoup these advances. And, you know, that's when you realize, whoa, this model is all wrong. You know, I'm, I'm, I've mortgaged my future and I'm out having to pay for it now. This sucks. Um, you know, so again, you, lessons you learn as you go through this, you know, and you learn some of those lessons at the top of your career, not at the bottom. So that was path one. Path two is just faith and when that came to you and how you live your well, life. Because again, it seems yeah. optically like that doesn't sound like the bass player in Megadeth. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, you know, I'm, I'm not, this isn't, this isn't 20 year old David Ellison you're talking to. This is 56 year old, you know? And, and again, the things that I'm talking to you about or pontificating about are things I've had to learn the hard way. You know, you come out the other side, you know, and you know, there, I used to have to say, Oh God, I wish, when will the pain stop? When will the lessons be learned? And someone said, when you're dead. 
you know, that's yeah. kind of what the journey of life is, is, and that's what, that's what I, you know, it's funny. I, I, you know, I grew up a Lutheran kid, right? So I was always around church and it was no big deal. It wasn't some big wacky born again, evangelical thing. It was just real, you know, that's what everybody did in the Midwest. You farm six days a week, Sunday, you take day off, you go to church. Monday morning, you're back out working, you know, so very simple life. Um, and when I moved to L.A., I didn't have really any sort of spiritual or religious connection at all. And I quite honestly, I didn't really want it. And I've done I've seen the studies that, you know, from about age 16 to 28 is when most people kind of move away from the faith of their parents. They're out doing their own thing, kind of finding their own way, sowing their own oats. And then by, you know, late 20s, early 30s, you start to, you know, fall in love. You get married, buy a house, have kids, new reality, you know, and that happened to me. It was like, okay, well, how, what's the benchmark for raising our kids? We're sort of the discipline barometer because otherwise it's going to be my wife's way or my way. Sometimes we agree. Sometimes we don't. There has to be a sort of a higher authority, a higher father, if you will. Right. Um, And, you know. Even when, you know, I was in the legal stuff, you know, with Dave, you know, I went to a, a advisor of mine and he said, just remember, there's a higher court of work, you know, and, and, and it's funny because I think that whole thing kind of resolved itself probably in a way neither Dave or I would have ever thought, which, you know, here we are years later back together again. And, and, and again, look, I, I, I don't do those kind of things. And I, I actually fought against doing it and it was kind of against my better judgment, you know, and then I would read in the Bible, I'd go, you know, don't sue a fellow believer. Don't take them to court, try to resolve things before they go to court. Um, which I did try to do. Um, but I, you know, again, live and learn. And, you know, fortunately Dave and I have been able to reconcile that and, and get, get, get through that. Um, cause nobody wins when you go to court, really, you know, in fact, the fact that you're going to court, you've already lost in my opinion. Um, so try to resolve things, um, you know, without having to bring those people in. And some things I guess you have to, um, but it's, I've always, you know, again, you know, for me and Dave, it's, it's, we, we hang out, we talk and we can resolve things between us, you know, managers don't, there's no manager, there's no lawyers, nobody out there is going to resolve anything that we, can't resolve ourselves just like like you say at home you know it's you know maybe you need to bring a counselor in from time to time who knows whatever the situation but for the most part you it should be able to be resolved between between the two parties um if you're able to be honest if you're able to just um you know speak up and speak your mind and and i think probably the other thing is is that you're comfortable being heard you know um you know, that's that's a that's a big part of a lot of this stuff, I think, is just having a voice. Um, and that, I guess, probably goes back to the beginning of our conversation. All of these things that I do um, is I think part of it is about having a voice. It's about, you know, I was in a group for many years, one group dedicated, you know, um, member of that group and still am, of course. But there comes a point in life where you go, you know, there's there's more to me than just that. Um, and, uh, you know, within Megadeth, there's a, there's a, you know, there's, as we always said, the logo says, this is what it's going to sound like, you know, (laughs) um, and the fans want that. And quite honestly, Dave is the, is the major, you know, the primary creator of that. And he does a great job of it. Um, so now to be able to go out and do some other things that I do, um, are just about me having a voice outside of that. Um, and especially in this season, I mean, look, Again, two years. <laughs> We're going to be things of. We had a big year planned this year, and suddenly out of nowhere, COVID showed up and yeah. new plan. So I think part of it is about being adaptable, being able to just accept things you can't change, and moving on from there. 
I grew up in the pit of the big four. I mean, I grew up there. That was my thing. So I'm the perfect age to be a fan. And it yeah. was Megadeth, Anthrax, Slayer, Metallica. So before it became shows and before it became almost its own brand, this idea of the big four, it, it's something that was always in me. And I reflect on that a lot because I'll be 50. So mm. I, I know what it's, I'm, I'm feeling that those, that, that back nine too. And what amazes me is in the genre and even in bass playing, we can connect the two that those bands go out and they sound bigger and better, not only than ever, but than most of the new stuff too. And I, mm-hmm. I'd said for years, you know, people and people would slog me for it, that I believe that Metallica was going to be like the Led Zeppelin of my generation type of thing. Mm-hmm. And I think about the band today and I think about your playing, I think about bass and, and being a part. Do you reflect on this idea that like, it's pretty unique that these four very different bands that had a lot of headbutting to a certain degree and then a lot mm-hmm. of love and stuff that to this day are the ones that, you know, as long as there's electricity, we're going to sell it out. It's a, it's a mind blowing thing to think about. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Somebody made a comparison that if Metallica were the Ramones, Megadeth would be the clash. Right. And I think as you said, if Metallica is Led Zeppelin, we're the who, uh, you know what I mean? I watched the kids are all right (laughs) last night again. So I'm with you. (laughs) You know, I mean, Dave is Pete Townsend. I'm Daltrey. It's kind of the two of us through thick and thin, no matter what, you know, I'm, um, you know, but it's and I, these are great comparisons. I mean, geez, my first magazine hit parader that I bought had Roger Daltrey on the cover. Sure. You know, like just throwing the killer rock shape and looking like a rock star. And I said, "Yep, I want to do that. That lo- that looks like a fun thing to do." Um, but yeah, I mean, look, nothing replaces experience. Um, I remember we played Hellfest in France uh, probably ten years ago now. Because uh, it was right when I came back to the band, I think. And we we headlined the day. We closed the day out. And right before us was Leonard Skinner. And I got to know Skinner uh, when I worked at Peavy. In fact, I actually brought them back into the Peavy family. Because to me, that one more from the road, that live album with all the Peavy amps, I mean, they were the iconic. And they were, I think, celebrating 40 years of Skinner or something at that time. So it was a big year. And, and I got to know Gary Rosington. Uh, I was one of the very few people he kind of let into his world. And he, we could talk just like you and I are right here. It was, it was really special. And, um, um, you know, I thought, man, here's a guy who has seen some stuff. I mean, he's been through all of it um, on, a, you know, on, on the biggest level. And then they sounded amazing. Oh my gosh, they sounded good. The backing vocals. I mean, they were so perfect and big. Um, and you know, and you're right. I think it is that when we walk on stage as Megadeth, we go out and and it just clicks together, you know? Um, and there's, there's nothing replaces experience, you know, just being in the trenches doing it. And it's what I always loved when I would sit down with Hartley Peavy and talk, I would just, I would just sit back and just listen and he'd ask me some things. And I was usually just, I was like, Oh my gosh, this is like sitting with JP Morgan of the music business or, you know, like like Henry Ford, you know what I mean? It was like, this guy's been around since Leo Fender and Jim Marshall. And I mean, this is one of the guys, you know, um, one of one of the big four of probably big three, Jim Marshall, Leo Fender and Hartley Peavy. I mean, they were the guys, you know, and um, so it, it's great to be in the room with those people because it's very humbling because you realize they've just got years of experience of things. And, and, and so that, you know, that's, that's what it is. I think if you can survive uh, and if you can, if you don't quit and you can keep going, um, 
that, you know, the experience just really is something that I think now on these stages and these festivals and, and the headliners that we are now, uh, you, well, you're, you kiss, you know, you're what you go see kiss farewell to. You're like, I mean, come on, these guys have, yeah. not only did they write the book, they lived the life, you know, and they rewrote the book over and over. And the fact that they've survived and been through all this stuff is just absolutely incredible. I feel like I want to do justice to the timing because I am watching the clock. I know you got to go, but I did want to talk about Combat Records with my buddy Rick sure. Hughes and Sword. Yeah, yeah. I did yeah. want to talk about for sure Altitudes and Attitude, and there were a couple songs on No Cover too. So maybe we can do another version of this at some point in yeah. the near well, future. Well, first, Rick, Rick Hughes from Sword. I mean, one of our, you know, a mega staple yeah. on the P, on the P Cell store. So glad to have him back in the fold, putting out records for his band Sword. They look great. They sound great. Um, and that was a point of reviving combat, you know, and bringing back some artists, you know, who used to be on combats. And, uh, so a history there. Yeah, Rick Altitudes and I go way and back. <laughs> yeah, they go way back. You well, know, Rick hey, and I go hey, way you back. Know, me and Frank, were going to be on their Monsters of Rock crew. So if and when that sails again, I think we'll be on that and probably, you know, work on some new material around that. Right. Um, and yeah, no cover, um, you know. 18 songs that just whipped up in about a week. Well, you, <laughs> men- you mentioned Kiss. You, you mentioned Kiss. So let's end on yeah. what I thought was the more obscure choice for the album, sure, which is you yeah. did Beth. <laughs> well, to, honestly, that was Tom's idea. And you know what? It really kept in spirit of everything we did on this record. We did not go for the big hit singles and these sort of bar standards of the heavy metal community. In fact, in my opinion, this is more of a rock record than I a agree. record. Um, and it just, it, it reminded me that me growing up, I grew up a rock, a rock fan and a rock bass player rock, then subdivided into hard rock and acid rock and heavy metal and thrash metal and death metal. And, you know, all these little subdivisions as, as, as I've been alive. But back when I was first listening to music, it was just kind of rock, hard rock, acid rock. You know, those were, there's only, a, I don't know, a couple little subgenres. But it was all rock. And it was important as we as we mixed this record. I said, I do not want to just come in and slather heavy metal all over this. You know, we, we're better than that. We're experienced musicians. We know how to bring the breath and the life and the depth out of these songs and out of these recordings that we just did. So let's really take our time to make this record, <clears throat> you know, be something that everybody can listen to and not just a heavy metal fan. And that's why you get Beth. And not rock and roll on that. That's night. why Beth is on there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> and keeping it with the obscure tracks. I I don't know of anybody, at least my friends, uh, who have ever covered Beth. I was gonna say it takes <laughs> guts really, to cover that song. <laughs> yeah, and especially for Tom. I mean, Tom's a big old boy. You know what I mean? And he comes at you like a diesel truck. And for him to get all sensitive and fucking basically make me cry when I listen to it, I'm like, how dare you? You know, you're you're big old Tom. You know, and so I, he did a great job. I mean, he really brought. He he went there with it. He really went to an emotional place with it, and um, and it's and that ultimately that's what it's about. Is is are you believable? Yeah, you can play. You know, let's go back to the bass for one second as Please. we close up. It isn't just about playing the notes. It's do those notes reach people? Do they impact people? Do they change people's emotions? That's what our job really is as a musician: is getting inside of people's emotions and and taking them to a different place. That's amazing, David Elson. Uh- New album is called No Cover. There is Amazing Coffee, which again, I would love to talk more about coffee. I love coffee. Uh, the books, everything. Go to elveson.com, check them out. Dave, thank you so much for your time. You're welcome, man. It's good to chat with you, man. Mm-hmm.